welcome to Ooh, hey great shot this is the great shot podcast a crack rackets and tennis channel podcast network production my name is alex gruskin on today's show, we continue our college contender series, breaking down our top 10 men's and women's college tennis teams heading into the 2022 dual match season. Hopefully you had the opportunity to check out our content covering teams number 10 and nine for both the men and women. For the women, we've talked about number 10, Ohio State, number nine, Texas A&M. For the men, we've talked about number 10, Kentucky, and number nine, Arizona. If you missed any of that content, you can catch up on it all on our website, Crack rackets.com of course on today's show we can continue that countdown by talking about the number eight team on our women's tennis preseason rankings and of course joining me to do just that our newest contributor here at crack rackets returning champion here to our great shot podcast show of course you know him as the author of the no ad no problem blog at j tweets tennis on twitter of course i know him as my friend john parsons jay hey great shot how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, caught up on all of the uh, podcasts, uh, the men uh, this weekend. So shout out to you and the Holy Trinity um, <laughs> and the coaches interviews and um, had a good weekend. So excited to be talking about number eight today. Yeah, it's tricky this week because obviously it's Thanksgiving as we're recording this. It's Wednesday, 12, 13 a.m. Pacific uh, <laughs> Eastern time and 9, 13 p.m. Pacific. And obviously listeners know that's when I roll. Um, but as such, a little harder to track down coaches this week. Nevertheless, we still are planning to interview each of these head coaches before the start of the season. That is my promise to all of you listeners. And I promise I will fulfill on that one. I do apologize, though, for the scatteredness of some of these podcast episodes. That said, I promise this to you, Kentucky, Arizona, too high, too low, just right. Where are you on those first two episodes? Kentucky, just right. Um, Arizona is too, too, too high. Um, the Arizona Kool-Aid was too strong. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, so I think what's interesting, and we can get into this at the end of the pod, and I can give you my, my men's number eight. Um, I have the luxury of weighing a lot of the fall results, right? Um, and so I know we kind of locked our, our lists maybe midway through kind of the, sure. the fall season. Um, and, you know, I didn't think, I don't think Arizona had, I mean, the guy who had the best fall was probably Double H. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we didn't see Strom. Um, what about Colton Smith there with his Kalamazoo result? So, uh, yeah, I mean, okay. Uh, <laughs> it, it, it didn't... Uh, necessarily translate to being a world beater this fall um in, in the collegiate ranks so i think arizona was too high although i will say shout out to coach shields um he was down for all the craziness you were throwing at him all of your ideas just like get, like kept trying like one up every idea and he was like yep yeah, let's go with that too i'm good i'm down um so you know maybe for for coach shields he can uh arizona can stay at nine Okay. I like that. You see the bias that comes into these rankings inevitably. Just wait for the Coach Ojeda interview, Tennessee women's head coach. I mean, um, I, it's not just her. Uh, there's a special guest, obviously, as well. It's a two-coach podcast. It's fantastic. I just again, that's been the most fun of part about interviewing all these power five coaches that so many of them are open to all of these ideas and many of them not going to be a surprise 
have ideas that far surpass mine. These are their life livelihoods. These are the things they think about constantly. And it's so interesting to hear those perspectives. So very much looking forward. And we're almost at December. So it's almost that time. But of course, that is not the topic of today's show. We will get to our number eight team. I will let you all know who our number eight team is. Although I suppose it's really not a spoiler because when you clicked on the episode, you saw number eight Duke. So, you know, it's number eight Duke. We'll get to that momentarily, but of course, a lot of fall seasons wrapping up, certainly from the ITA side, no more events there. And, you know, slowly we're transitioning to the eight hour weeks and just less interaction between coach and player. As we head towards January, as exams come up, obviously a bunch of people heading home for the holidays that said last week, whether it was Columbus, whether it was everywhere, everywhere east lansing because harry jaden by the way shout out to harry jaden i'm sure we'll talk about it on thursday as well but he landed the the white whale he landed ozon collect that's their evan king like for lack of a better term that's the big prospect now you've got your number one because you've got a bunch of guys who can compete at yep. five and six and compete well but finding that top guy who's going to steal you a one against a nebraska against a wisconsin that's the difference between making the ncaa tournament and not and that is a massive land. I'm sure you have thoughts on that. And then, of course, if as you do so beautifully always, if you want to transition to your pro circuit update, it was a big week for a lot of former and current college players. Yeah, I mean, um, Kolak competed in the in the 15K there in East Lansing. Um, doubles final, right? Doubles final. Yep, yeah. exactly. Um, I think he went, fell in the second round singles match. Um, Played with my guy, Jack Winkler from my hometown. Shout out. Well, he went to our rival school. Well, it wasn't a rival because we kicked their ass when I was there. Now, when he was there, I think they were a little bit better. But uh, shout out, Jack Winkler. Anyways, go on. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, you nailed it. Huge recruit for them. Um, interesting choice uh, for Kolak. I mean, you know, I'm sure Coach Jaden has been working this for a decade plus, right? <laughs> uh, this has been a, a long time coming, um, but you don't see this that often, right? I mean, one, it's rare to have like such a top recruit, um, you know, from from Michigan uh, and then second uh, to stay home, right? And like literally home, like he's basically from East Lansing. Um, so that'll do wonders for the program. We'll put them on the map um, and looking forward to seeing his success. He'll immediately play at the top of the lineup. It's compete against all the, the big 10 guys at the top there. So it'll be good competition um, week in, week out for him. Uh, and excited to see him in, in action next year. I guarantee you before he gets to this part, I'm going to filibuster to allow him time to do what he's going to do when he's hearing this. But right now, Harry Jaden is crafting me a message saying, oh, if you think Ozan's going to be playing number one, you've got another thing coming. You should see the boys in East Lansing this fall. <laughs> and I'm just going to you know, put the finger down response with the eye message and be like, I don't know, Harry. Um, no, but yeah. you're, you're right. It's a win by by place of birth, but a good program keeps that recruit at home. And that's what they yep. did. They got him to buy in and they've landed a five-star recruit, I think in the last four seasons, something like that. And again, I'm biased. And I, I would say this about a lot of coaches. So to all the coaches who hear this, I would say this about a lot of you, but I am absolutely certain I would play for Harry. I would send my kid to play for Harry and thank God I don't have to consider that right now, but Harry's going to be very good at this for the very long time. And I'm just telling you, keep an eye on him because he went to state was an all American there. He loves it there. This is the first of many. This is not the last would be my takeaway. Yep. Um, and, you know, shout out to them for hosting the 15 K this week. Um, you mentioned it. They were one of a few, few schools this week um, for, schools on the men's side hosted pro events. You had East Lansing, you had Austin, you had Columbus, and then you had the challenger in Illinois. Um, you know, last week of U S professional tournaments in 2021 and, you know, 
combination of that. So a lot of pro guys, maybe not playing, heading home, uh, and the combination of that and being on campus, right? You saw 57 uh, collegians in action this week, which was a record um, this fall, kind of all of September. Uh, and you had seven guys make the semifinals or better, three making the finals, um, one in each of those uh, those three events. So really great week um, for collegians. Really good to, we talked about this, just the opportunities that hosting professional event, you know, brings to your campus and brings to your conference and, and other collegians as well. Um, I mean, you look at the, the Columbus 25K and it, could have very well been a Buckeye fall invite. And they gave <laughs> they gave the extension to to Wake Forest uh, for for body to to show up. Um, but yeah, I mean, just so many good opportunities, so many players having breakthroughs, just getting that experience, uh, what it means to to play in a pro event, but still in the comfort of a college campus, either theirs or or someone else's. Um, so so really exciting, um, uh, really exciting success. Yeah, and. Obviously, for John McNally to win that title in that instant, what a victory for him. First pro circuit singles title, and I'm pretty sure he's not coming back, Jay. That's my <laughs> okay. status report update for you, by the way. I, I'm, I, I'm fairly certain he's not coming back. I'm very glad you brought that up because I feel like you were the one that initially threw out the McNally rumor. It was Man. batted down by several people, and so I wanted to just do the, the gauge. Where were we feeling? I agree with you. Um, I, do, I would be, be shocked if we saw him. Uh, in the spring no the yes I'm I'm very very certain he's going to be turning pro at this point so at the same time I do know the door was open that there was the consideration of maybe I will go back for one more year but now I do not think that is going to be the case poor Cannon Kingsley like just so close week after week after week to that first pro title but that was a much needed result for Tracy and I swear to God that result is what is going to have Ty Tucker play him at three well, I was going to say, I was like, at what point does Ty Tucker have a conversation with him to say, look, you already had a really good fall. Like, I can't, can't. <laughs> oh, have not Tracy. Be- sorry. Trotter, Trotter for Trotter. Excuse me for. Yeah, because Tracy has been that good this fall. But Trotter ends up making the final in this, correct? And I believe. No, Tracy makes the oh, final. Oh, it's Tracy who made it. Okay, so I mixed up my TRs. In fairness, yeah. I'm home. It was Tracy. <laughs> Always go with the instinct, Alex. Yeah. You're, now he has to play three. Right. I mean, knock, knocks off Kingsley like three and one. Yeah, um, crazy. So that's the conversation I'm alluding to with Ty being like, you can't do that. Um, yeah. uh, but I mean, just, I mean, what a, what a week for or, him. Or can I give the zag? You can do that. Tracy one, Cannon two, Votesel three. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> also the move. I but honestly yeah, I mean, don't really care what order you put them in. Sorry, but like, it, they're true. all really freaking good. They're all really good. Um, it was... Uh, it was tough. He had two match points in the second set against McNally. Mm-hmm. It was up a break in the second. Um, so it was his first pro event ever mm-hmm. makes the final. Um, anyways, um, that's that's a podcast uh, for for the Buckeyes, um, yeah. which I'm sure they'll be coming up in the next few weeks. No, they always like the few opening win- minutes. But yeah, I mean, there were countless others. Big week for Alexa Graham, who's been really, really good. And it's unfortunate just 15Ks, 25Ks, there aren't that many points available, but she's ripping through them and inching closer to that top 500. And from there, you start playing 25Ks only, getting to the occasional 50K. I think we're going to see her quickly ascend to that 100K level by the end of next year. I do think she is that good, and I do think she's that hungry to be a professional tennis player, which is half the battle when you're traveling across the world to play all of these different events just based on your ranking. And so, yeah, it, it was a really good fall for the pro players, and we explored this last week, but that sex, uh, success, excuse me, leave that in, continued here this week. Now, with all of that said, 
That is not the reason we had you on the show today. Of course, we wanted to have you on the show to continue our college contender series, breaking down our top 10 teams heading into 2021. We had to, excuse me, we have not done this yet, but West off, we're now at that point. Give me that college contender sound effect, please. All right. With that said, Jay, and again, no spoiler here because you see the title of the episode as you click down the podcast, our number eight women's team heading into 2022 is the Duke Blue Devils. And you look for Duke. It was a fascinating 2021 season, 18 and seven overall, but a season where it felt like they left a lot of matches on the table. Kickoff weekend, they're in Atlanta, lose a 4-3 match at Georgia Tech. You look for them, you know, again, they lose at Georgia Tech again later in the season, 6-1 loss to UNC, 4-2 loss to Virginia, 4-3 loss at home against NC State. They beat everyone they were supposed to beat during the season, but they never really got that elite win. And yet, when they get to the NCAA tournament, they end up in the NCAA quarterfinals. They beat Alabama back-to-back 4-3 wins against Baylor, against UCF. This was a team that had multiple injuries throughout the course of the year. But when they were at their closest to healthiest at that end of the season, we saw the program that has made you know quarterfinals or better in every season but 2008 and 2014 since their breakthrough NCAA Final Four appearance back in 2000. There wasn't really a breakthrough, I suppose, 97. They were very good earlier. But since their 2004 appearance, I mean, really just this whole decade, three times, yeah. round of 16, that's it. Every time else, it's quarterfinal or better. This program has established itself as elite. I apologize for losing that point there. Leave it all in, West off. The point being, this is a winning program. That's what a winning culture does. They see the draw in front of them. They make the most of it. They make the quarterfinals. I know you look at that final scoreline, 4-1 against UNC. It was a lot closer than a 4-1 match, and we can talk about that momentarily. But when you look at this team, 2021, overperformance, underperformance, just right. Um. I guess just right um, in so far as it felt like they really hit their stride towards the end there. Um, And I felt like they were definitely the better team than Baylor and UCF. And it's not often that you have to play two teams uh, at their home site in the NCAA tournament. And they did it both there knocking off Baylor at home and then UCF uh, in the round of 16. So, you know, I, I feel like they, they delivered. I mean, it was such a talented roster, um, and we, we'll get into this, but they had so many positions in the lineup that were, when healthy, close to locks. Um, and, you know, I was I was impressed with, with with the form they demonstrated towards towards the end there in the NCAA tournament. You mentioned all of the close losses they had throughout the year. Some of those came with players out. Um, but I would say going into the NCAA tournament, Maybe you pencil them in for an upset over Baylor. I don't know if you also saw them beating UCF in Orlando. Um, so in that regard, probably a slight overperformance. But maybe if you kind of go back to the beginning of the season, you might say this feels like a quarterfinal team because they're always a quarterfinal team, right? They always find a way to kind of sneak in there um, kind of regardless of the season they have, which kind of speaks to the the pedigree of the program. It's a little bit Stanford light in that regard, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's kind of like, regardless of the season they had, regardless of their ranking coming in, it's a dangerous team. It's a dangerous squad. Yeah. Well, since the start of the uh, 1997 season, which is when coach Ashworth took over this program, he just finished year number 25 at the helm for Duke 25 seasons 
They've made the quarterfinals all but nine times. Quarterfinals are better, all but nine times. And look, you know, have they won that NCAA national championship? Yeah, they've got the one. You look at what they were able to do in 2009. He's gotten that program over the hump. He's kept them at that level. And yeah, there was a bit of a blip there in the middle of the 2010s, you know, back-to-back second rounds. That's unduke-like, but again, semifinals in 2018 semifinals in 2019 where they played the georgias the stanfords the north carolinas extraordinarily close and that is why i'm a little higher on this team than a team with probably a little bit more upside in a cal that we haven't seen do it before a team with a little bit more upside in a princeton that we haven't quite seen do it before because i know when push comes to shove you know, again, this team found a recipe to win last season and they wrote it all season long. Jay, you look for them. The match calculus was simple. Take yep. the doubles point and they won over 75 percent of their matches on all three doubles courts. Win two, win three, win four. Yep. That was the recipe. It worked very, very frequently. Now, when they came up against a Virginia or an NC State, obviously in North Carolina, that goes a little bit deeper than just three deep. That's when things struggled. But, you know, again. Kelly Chen turned it on at the NCAA tournament. And just last season for her, it felt more like an aberration than the continued norm because she was so good during the start of that 2020 season and so good early in her career. And last year, she had a bunch of injuries, but, you know, six and 10 at one singles. That's not what you would have expected from her in her junior campaign that this team had so much success with, you know, Drummy and with uh, Chloe Beck, who they're bringing back this season and a bounce back here from Chen. All of a sudden you found a very similar recipe because of course, coach Ashworth teams are always pretty solid at doubles. Yeah. I mean, doubles was a huge uh, takeaway for me when kind of looking back at this season, you mentioned that 75% win streak. I mean that, or 75% win record that held at every single position, right? They weren't, it wasn't just that they had two strong doubles positions and, um, and phoned it in on at number three, they were really strong at doubles. Um, and then two, three, and four was their recipe for success. Um, you know, and, and on paper, right. This is a team that hit their stride in May had both, uh, Kelly Chen and Georgia drummy make the round of 16 in the NCAA singles final. They returned five of their six singles players from last year, all of their top three, all of their top three are preseason top 30, and they bring in the number three recruiting class in the country. That is a very solid team uh, and it has all the makings for, for success. And you add it to just a program that has this history of success. Um, you know, the, the recipe is there. Uh, the talent is certainly there on paper. Yeah, and with that in mind, let's look at the roster they bring back. Of course, it does start with uh, that top three, and you look uh, for them last season. Again, the success that they were able to find, uh, in particular from Georgia Drummy, the transfer over from Vanderbilt Drummy, 18 and three overall in dual matches, 10 and three at the number two singles position, six and oh, when she was forced to step up to that number one spot. Of course, big year for Chloe Beck, who's got an unconventional game style. She's going to throw in the slices, the drop shots, the lob. She's going to sneak forward as well. It worked for 18 and three overall in dual matches, 20 and five. Overall on the season, she went 14 and one at four, uh, at three. That's as close to a lock as you are going to get. Of course, the other big win for them was Mabel Chi. Chi 15 and two at four singles, 21 and three overall. She's the one starter they lose. And we can get into some of the struggles they went through in the back half of the lineup, just looking for solutions all year long. But again, 
that's a nucleus. And it's very much akin to what we just saw NC State do with Alana Smith and, you know, again, Jada Daniels and Anna Rogers and just that duo slowly aged as a top three. And, you know, Rogers jump last season from solid to very good is what helped them reach that NCAA semifinal. They had a clear cut, you know, match calculus. And even before we get into the freshman, which helped change the dynamic, plus just a year of development, taking lumps at five and six singles. How strong is that nucleus? When you look at the, you know, key threes in lineups across the board, I mean, certainly a team like Pepperdine loaded. Sure. But I feel pretty good about that top three as much as anyone outside of maybe two or three teams. It's, it's really strong. Um, and, and here's where I'll zag a little bit on, on Duke. Um, you know, the, the fall has been a little bit concerning, right? So I think if we were to have this conversation back in August, this is a team you feel really high on. Mm-hmm. Um, the fall results have been have been disappointing. You know, um, Drummy has really struggled this fall. She retired against Alexa Noel at All-Americans, and she's lost both her matches after that. Uh, I was kind of expecting a much bigger fall for hers. Maybe we can attribute that to injuries. I'm not sure. Um, Kelly Chen has had an okay fall, um, still losing to those players that she would need to be beating at a one or even a number two slot. Um, and Chloe Beck has been, been one of the bright spots. You know, she's continued to have uh, a lot of success there. So it's, it's a little tough for me uh, when you factor in some of the fall results um, on paper, it's, it's, maybe one of the you know top three top four top threes in the country um but i'm a little i'm a little weary right now just where we are on the fall i do think um those three will continue holding down the top three but we'll can talk about what a change in order might might look like well again you look for this team and whether it was against baylor last year where they dropped the doubles point and you know drummy oh and oh victory chloe back three and two victory mabel chi one and two victory in the end kelly chen came through clutch gets the three set victory at one clinches the quarterfinal spot for her team now she dropped that spot at number one singles against UCF, but her and Georgia Drummy, who will not be playing three doubles this season, you can pencil that in. Uh, they probably, you know, again. Oh, by the way, did you like, did you listen to the um, Mark Weaver interview, Texas AM? I asked him about the Goldsmith Makarova split. I was so happy with his response. I do wonder similarly, does Coach Ashworth split up Kelly Chen, Georgia Drummy earlier in the season just to again help the younger players get some experience repetition alongside of them? Um, and that's an interesting question because they had a lot of double success, but they're not going to have, you know, that much. Oh, I suppose they bring back what two teams. I want to say because yeah. Beck and Barankova, so they bring back two teams. That's good. But maybe you split things up a little bit. We'll see just to drag some of your freshmen along point being, you know, again, against uh, UCF, they get wins from two, three, four, they take doubles, even that UNC match, you know, again, Kelly Chen steals a set takes yeah. that second t- set and has momentum on their side. And, you know, you know, uh, George Drummond comes out six, four, first set against Alexa Graham, Mabel cheese, six, I believe she, first she had set. match points over Alexa Graham in that match as well. Yeah. Unbelievable. And of course, again, Mabel cheese, six love first set and, you know, Barankova seven, five, first set over Riley Tran. And yeah, they played this match without Elizabeth Scotty, but man, they were, you know, again, there was a 15 minute stretch in singles after, you know, back drummy, Chi, Barankova had all taken first sets all of the sudden, you know, again, given where Duke had had success two, three, and four, uh, it felt real. It got, things got very scary, uh, for 
the Tar Heels in that quarterfinal match. And, you know, again, it was Duke was really good down the home stretch. Like, I'm yep. just not going to forget that quantity of uh, quality for them. And even in the matches they lost, you know, again, they lose 4-3, uh, I believe, against Georgia Tech on the kickoff weekend. They lose, you know, uh, 4-2 at Virginia, 4-3 against NC State. Played a lot of close matches. And just, you know, as we mentioned, you bring back five starters and the ones we haven't discussed thus far. You bring back Carolina Barankova, who 10-12, and 12, dual matches last year, 8-10, and 10, but certainly she gets another year of experience. You bring back, um, uh, excuse me, I think, excuse me, Margarita Billiken as well. Uh, she's six and nine last season at the number five singles position, but 11 and 11 overall in dual matches. And then you bring in two freshmen. Tell us about the freshmen, Jay. Yeah. Well, just, just to um, codify the, the five and six point, right. That was their Achilles heel, right. Particularly against like uh, the, the UNCs of the world. Those were positions that you need to be stronger than 500 uh, uh, at, and they, they weren't over 500 either there. So you you look at this squad this coming year and you say, okay, where can you replicate that kind of two, three, and four success and, and bring up the level at five and six. And they bring in the number three recruiting class in the country, um, you know, headlined by Ellie Coleman um, and Emma Jackson, both Midwesterners, um, both kind of annually top 10 in their class. Um, and so you look for those freshmen to start kind of adding some depth and to start fleshing out that bottom of the lineup. Um, you know, so I mentioned both kind of top 10 in their class. Ellie Coleman comes in a little highly rated in the past year. She has more international experience, played all the junior slams. Um, and, and Emma Jackson um, has kind of been a, a top U.S. recruit year over year. Um, so, you know, I always love to look at the fall results. Um, I would say of the two, uh, if you were expecting bigger things from Ellie Coleman, it's probably Emma Jackson, who's been the surprise. Um, so she's tied with Chloe Beck in terms of fall success, 10 and five record this season. Um, some, some notable wins um, over, I believe, like uh, Ayanna Ockley of South Carolina and a few others as well. Uh, all of her losses have come to kind of opponents who are in the ranked top 80. Um, so some really good results from, from the freshmen this year. Um, unclear though, right. If you can, if one of them can step into that number four spot and go, what was it, you know, 18 and three as a, as a, as a maybe she did. Um, that's a tough ask. Yeah, no, you look for them 54 and 45 overall in singles during the fall and Chloe back, Emma Jackson, their two wins leaders, both of them 10 and five. Kelly Chen, nine and five. Ellie Coleman, eight and five. As you mentioned, was a tough fall for Georgia Drummond, but she's earned the benefit of the doubt. Uh, certainly, you know, Barankova, two and seven. You don't love that. Billiken, seven and nine. You don't love that. But they really just need, you know, again, a 50% bounce back from Kelly Chen. If she goes, what was it last season? You look at the overall record uh, for Kelly Chen, I believe here we go. She was six and 10 overall at one singles. She goes eight and eight or nine and seven this season. And you just get one of those freshmen to click at four or five. It doesn't even have to be, uh, you know, the number four spot, like she, it could be five. It could be six. Even you just need one of them. And you do look for this team again with the fall results, Pretty solid in doubles across the board. 35 and 13 overall. Beck and Billiken went seven and one. And, yep. you know, again, Chen and Umaru five and two. And Coleman and Jackson four and one as well. And if you just want to slot the two freshmen together, roll with the teams you had last year, that's an option for Coach Ashworth. I just think, again, and I know I was the one who drove this team to be number eight. And perhaps when you're looking at a Cal team, you may think they have more upside because we don't know as much about their freshmen, but certainly many of them are highly touted. We know what we're getting with this Duke team. 
I just really like it. Like, I do think, again, I saw that round of 16 match against UCF on an away match. You know, again, we're playing in Orlando under the lights. They come back to win against the UNC team. They had lost to multiple times, not just this year, but again, Chen and Peck and Chi and just that entire squad. They had seen Graham and Davitella and Jones, and they haven't played them three times. They played them 3,000 times. (laughs) And that experience, that guile, played a role in that match just unequivocally. And I think that it factor they're Duke, the Duke is on their chest. They don't fear anyone. And I know that's maybe projecting, but I do think you can see that quality in the way they play where it's just kind of like, yeah, whatever UCF be loud. And this isn't a slight to coach Kenyako and their team, but it was just like, yeah, whatever, but you're still UCF and we're Duke and watch what we can do. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely true. Um, I think we might be overestimating Kelly Chen, Um, she's won a lot of sportsmanship awards. She's a very, uh, fun player to watch. Um, but a lot of that success in her first few years at Duke didn't come at number one or number two, right? That success was at three at four. I mean, incredible records there. Um, but it really, the challenges came at one. And so I'm not sure how feasible it is to say, oh, we just need her to kind of get back to that level or or get 50% better because it's not clear to me whether it was like an actual regression in level or if it was moving up in the lineup and that's sort of where she falls if she's going to play at number one I mean you look at the losses this fall it was it was all to the players she would be playing at at one and so um just that that trend is a little bit concerning we've seen that with Billiken as well maybe even more concerning because she's consistently played at the five and six position she was 20 something and seven when she came in as a freshman wasn't as strong last season so that's a trend that's concerning um and so then you say okay well where do we where do we fill the gaps right four five and six do we are we relying on on these two freshmen to do that are we looking at, you know, one of Billiken, Omaru, or Barankova at six? I don't know if that's as strong as they need to be there. Um, so I just think that th- those trends that we're seeing with Chen and Billiken are, are a little concerning. But um, fear not, Coach Ashworth. I have some lineup recommendations uh, to alleviate that. Well, I love that. Let's get to them now and again. I think the big thing is if they can just get 500 at number one singles, which would be an improvement from last season. You look again for the Blue Devils overall. Well, I guess 12 and 10 last year at number one. If they can get that number to 14 and eight or 15 and seven, three more wins on the board, whether it be Drummond, whether it be Chen. I still think you feel pretty good about whomever in that lineup plays two. And certainly you feel very good about whomever of their top three plays number three. And then you're right. There's some projection. You need one of the freshmen to pop, particularly if you want to compete with the Pepperdines, the Texas's, UNC's, Stanford's of the world. But they have the freshmen. They have the two blue chips. They have the number three class in the country. The pedigree is there. What's the lineup you project for these Blue Devils? Yeah, so I, I think their best shot at approving that number one record is is moving Kelly Chen out of that spot, moving moving Drummy up. A healthy one. Georgia Drummy. A healthy Georgia Drummy, right? This is all assuming that there's some level of, of bounce back. Um, this fall was was disappointing in that regard. Um, I mean, she has she has the weapons, right? I mean, she's she's a five ten lefty, big serve, big lefty forehand. Um, you know, she was playing primarily at one at Vanderbilt with success. Um, you know, I think if anyone's going to have the best record at one, I think it's Drummy, um, just given the tools that she has. Then at two, I actually think you slot Chloe back up at two. Um, I think she's a really impressive player. You mentioned her all-around game. 
Um, I came away really impressed with her in Orlando. She has, you know, an entire toolbox that she can go to work with in terms of the serve, the volleys, the slice. Um, and then I think you have Kelly Chen at three. I think that's going to be close to a lock for them. Um, and I think that's what they'll need. I think it's where she'll be confident. Um, so I do think you see the same top three, but just in a different order. I could also see Drummy Chen back, right, in some in some order. But I do think Drummy at one is the best recipe for in, uh, increasing that win percentage. I don't think it hurts two and three that badly. What do you think about their doubles pairings? Again, the success from the two freshmen here this fall, you've got, uh, I believe, what was the record for Coleman and for uh, Jackson, they go four and one together. And uh, you look again for Amaru, she's fit in with Kelly Chen. She's fit in with Ellie Coleman. She's fit in a couple of different places as well. I feel like they do have seven options in doubles. And I do think they're a team that again, has prided themselves in doubles over the year. If they can start one out, this is not a team that's a lock for four points. Very, very much so. But if they can take doubles, doubles again i think they're good for two singles wins in every match it's just again finding one of one four five and six to pop because i do think they're the problem is replicating that success at two is just really hard to do they were that good at those positions and four right yeah. like i'm not like i wouldn't say there's any for any player on the team who will have as good of a record as mabel chi at four last season and so that's the thing they really need a different position to pop and that requires some projection but yep. when you look at this team you know, again, right away, it's not exactly a cakewalk in their schedule. And uh, you look, they haven't had the fall schedule come out, but the kickoff weekend, they're hosting Oklahoma, Furman, and Nebraska. Now, I know Oklahoma is a team you are quite high on, Jay. <laughs> is that an upset alert for you? It is massive upset alert for me. Um, so I I have Duke losing to Oklahoma. Oklahoma's the two seed, so they'll both get one match there. Um, and I have Oklahoma knocking off Duke. If not for just the, you know, question mark around Drummy right now and and her health, I don't know the severity of the injury, um, you know, the, the you know, rely, reliance on freshmen so early in the season to deliver a few of those points. Um, you know, it's still an untested Oklahoma team, right? But this is really where they'll kind of show if they're going to be worthy of my, uh, hey, they're going to knock off Texas uh, this season prediction. Um, but look, you know, we want to make some, some bold predictions. And that's one of my hot takes is that, uh, Oklahoma takes down Duke in the ITA kickoff. Duke, a 0.07 UTR favorite. There are 0.1 or fewer gap in each and every one of these singles matches, three, three splits in terms of favorites. Yeah, that's a pick em. And certainly in a pick em, you usually lean towards, by the way, Kelly Chen fifth right now by UTR in the Duke lineup. If they're playing her at five. <laughs> That's a strategy. It's a strategy. Um, no, Three but, doubles and number five singles. Yeah, exactly. It fits. The profile fits. Um, no, you look at this team. I think it is worth mentioning, though. And yeah, Oklahoma, I think that match being as close as it is, is a testament to Oklahoma, who yeah. were on our shortlist for this top 10. No denying that. But Duke second. You know, in uh, by Team UTR, and they're you know they trail North in their conference. They trail North Carolina by 0.82. They lead Virginia by 0.5, which averages out to you know less than 0.1 per singles flight. So certainly that's concerning, but you know pretty sizable. You know, I guess a full point lead for them, 1.1 point lead, uh, 1.1 point. That's funny, 1.1 point lead over North Carolina state in fourth, hmm. but they are second in the conference and they're a veteran team as well with a Virginia team that yeah, brings back Navarro brings back Subash, but we'll have some new players down the lineup and in doubles and a North Carolina state team that yeah, brings back some veterans, but is also incorporating some new pieces as well. 
I think early in the season is key. Like, I think this team, if they beat Oklahoma, get through to the final 16, that's where this team thrives amongst the best. And that's where, you know, again, because they're primetime performers, their results at the NCAA tournament speaks to that result. Yep. And I could see this team, though, like losing to Wake Forest midway through March. Sure. Um, particularly if they are, are down, I think that's the thing about this, this, um, Duke lineup, like certainly last year, if you took one player out of the lineup, I mean, it, that was a struggle, right? This year they have a little bit more depth, so that's great. Um, but probably not the depth that you're, you're counting on to, to knock off a, a North Carolina or a UVA. And so, you know, that's going to be kind of, they're on, they're on injury watch a little bit, um, but I do think you make a really good point about making the, uh, national indoors, that's great experience for these freshmen, right? Mm-hmm. You re- really want to get there, get that experience for them um, in prep for things like the ACC tournament and the NCAAs. Um, so that'll be really important for them and also for their for their ranking, right? This is one thing we haven't talked about is just how strong the ACC was last year. Yes. Six of the top 10 teams um, were ACC schools. And by the uh, way, it wasn't a rankings fluke. It wasn't an SEC thing for the men. All these teams were that good. Hundred um, percent, and so you know Duke, Duke has their worst ACC conference record in in some number of years, and they go on to make the quarterfinals. That's much more of a reflection on the strength of the ACC. Um, this year, a little bit of a rebuilding year for some of those programs who finished in the top ten, whereas Duke seems to be in a tier right now, right below UNC, uh, and so that will be important for them to kind of establish themselves um, as you know second tier to UNC, which they have played that role kind of throughout the 2010s and, um, and beyond. So they won't love that. Uh, and they'll look to change that of course, but that's probably where they're, where they're looking right now. See, I think this team is just as likely to lose to a wake forest or lose to, you know, a Notre Dame will say, or a Georgia tech as they are to beat a North Carolina at home. Or just, you know, again, one of drummy or whomever clicks against a Scotty against a Mora. Yep. And it's just a good recipe for them. hundred percent. Again, that's what makes this team so interesting. And that's why I think that first weekend is so important. And by the way, again, they're more experienced. Oklahoma's going to be a lot better in May, I think, than they are in January. Definitely. This is the time to play them. With that said, give me your predictions for them. Conference, national indoors, et cetera. How do you think yep. this team competes? So I think you know that. I mean, this is a team, um, and I, I read about this in the article, this is a team with a high upside and a low floor, which makes predictions very challenging. Um, you know, so I'm going to stick by my Oklahoma prediction, uh, and say that Duke doesn't make the, the indoors. Um, I, I do think they, I, I think they finish in the semifinals of the ACC tournament. I think they lose to either UNC or, or UVA. Um, and I'll be honest in a similar parallel analogy to what you just said. Like, I think this is a team that's like almost as likely to make the semifinals as they could be losing the round of 32. Um, and so, you know, this will be a team that I see falling in the round of 16. Um, sure. and I think next year, it, this team is one to watch. If, if, if drummy comes back, you've got drummy back the two freshmen of this year, you have another blue chip coming in. They're going to be really, really dangerous next season. Yeah. It's interesting because again, they feel like the veterans in a young rebuilding ACC conference where yes. you're right. We just saw a, a page shift in ACC yep. women's tennis. That said, they have enough returners sprinkled in the drummies, the chens, the backs, even again at the bottom of their lineup as well. And yeah, Coach Ashworth's seen everything. He knows how to get this team peaking come May. Now, health was a huge issue 
for this team last season. And hopefully they can just stay healthy from start to finish. And they're a little bit deeper this year, you know, seven, eight, nine deep. That's a little bit better than they were last season. At the same time, as always, the doubles points can be critical. They cannot have any drop off in that, you know, winning over 75% of their doubles matches because they need that one lead. I don't, I feel like if this team loses doubles point, again, it's a lot easier for me to see them winning three matches than four. Yeah. You know, I, I'm actually confident in their doubles, right? We haven't talked a lot yeah. about Eliza uh, Omaru coming in as the grad transfer from Wake Forest. Um, she played number one doubles for Wake Forest last season. Um, you know, so she's she's been around, um, clearly a solid doubles player. Um, you know, you already have, uh, you know, everyone from doubles returning other than Mabel Chi. You slot her in, plus you also have the options of the two freshmen. Um, I think that third team will be drummy plus one of the new additions, either the two freshmen or, um, or Omaru. So, you know, I don't see any reason for them not to be equally as successful in, in doubles. Um, I just worry a little bit about um, a few of their returners and whether or not they continue to kind of have this downslide. That's been kind of their Achilles heel of the last few years. Well, here's the take and I've alluded to it, but we've built to this moment now. If we could go back and redo anything, would you have fought me harder on including this team in the top 10? Would you have included someone else? Is this the team in our top 10 you would have kicked out? No. I, I mean, just solely because on paper, this is absolutely a top eight team. Sure. Like there, there, there's no arguing that. Um, and admittedly, a lot of my uh, my conjecture is just based on is based on sentiment and feeling, fall results. Um you know, kind of gut checking kind of where I think this Duke team will be in, in May. Um, but on paper, this team is is incredibly solid. Yeah. It's a fair pick. And so again, with that in mind, you gave me, you gave me a broad prediction conference tournament. You say round of 16 for this team in the end, can they win one of the regular season or postseason tournament conference titles? They can definitely tie. Um, sure. For where they can, I mean, those these regular seasons, it's like always like a four way tie. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I think a tie is actually possible for for the ACC, right? Because all it takes is one team to knock off UNC. That could either be Duke, that could be UVA. Everyone kind of has one loss, and you know, th- there you go with a tie. I think they fall. On, the firm prediction though is that they fall in the tournament semifinals. That's that's the outer bounds. What do you mean? If they, oh, oh, conference. Oh, conference. Finals. Exactly. Yeah. So like gotcha. when we actually are like, you know, there's a winner and a loser versus these conference, sure. these regular season titles where everyone gets a trophy. Um, <laughs> the, the conference tournament, I think they'll lose in the semifinals. Um, and then I think they'll lose in the round of 16 yeah. in the NCAAs. It's interesting because again, I do think this team's a better NCAA tournament team than a regular season team. And I do think when it's crunch time, you get the better performance from the chat. I mean, Drummy was so good last year. Beck was so good last year. So that's the last taste we had in our mouths. And Mm -hmm. obviously they've, you know, uh, Beck's been pretty solid here this fall. Uh, Remind me again, did I say Texas A&M quarterfinals? I must've. You're all quarterfinals to date. (sighs) This is always the tough part. I just said they're better at the NCAA tournament, which they absolutely are. I mean, yeah. when I was like looking back, I was like, man, semis, both 2018, 2019. Yeah. Impressive. If I could retract Ohio state, I probably would. Mm-hmm. I wanted a big 10 school in there very badly. Yeah. I'm going to say no for this team. I'll go NCAA round of 16 as well. I just, again, it's not a testament to them. 
it's the fact that Cal can get so much better. It's the fact that Princeton can get so much better. And it's the fact that Stanford so much better. And, you know, Virginia, I think has another gear to go. And I think in February or national indoors, Duke would beat Virginia. As you mentioned, conference semifinals. I don't know if that would be the case. At the same time, you're right. It's a known commodity with a surprisingly lower floor than you would expect and a surprisingly higher ceiling than you would expect for an own commodity. You're right. NCAA round of 16, but I do think they make like a semifinal run at the indoors. Like they sneak up on everyone early and they have a good run. They beat Oklahoma at home four three. They ride that momentum into the national indoors. They get another big win in the round of 16. They take on like a, I'm trying to think who's a young, they take out and they like, they knock off. I don't know about a Texas. Well, maybe no, that's tough. Um, they knock off some, they beat a Georgia or someone like that at sure. the national indoors. And then they just get tripped up in the round of 16. When one of these again, teams with high upside just gets a little bit better and surpasses them down the whole draft. Unless one of their freshmen clicks, if one of their right. freshmen clicks, then again, and I spent this whole podcast <laughs> building up their NCAA performance, just to say round of 16, this speaks to the depth. I think there's again, a pretty top four, top five ish, and then there's a lot of really good teams in that quarterfinal range. That's what college tennis is going to be until we're back down to just four classes of high school graduates. I'll say third in the regular season conference. They're going to make the conference title, but lose. Okay. And then they're going to lose in the NCAA round of 16. But national indoor semi, that'll be my hot take. Okay. Screw it. And then I'm going to pick them to lose to Oklahoma on the kickoff weekend. Just rest assured. I'll pivot by that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, they make the semis of indoors. That's going to be a big upset for them to lose in the round of 16, right? Because they'll be facing um, a much lower seed, assuming they those predictions come, come No, but through. then I also think they're going to lose to Wake Forest. And, like, they're going to play a 4-3 match against Louisville or a Clemson that's just going to catch you off guard. Yeah. But, yeah, you're right. It's an, I just think it's going to be a weird season, another weird season. Because as good as they were down the home stretch, it was a weird year for them. Like, out, were Baylor and UCF signature wins? Like, with all due respect – given the ACC conference last year, it just feels yeah. like Duke was tailor-made to beat those two teams in particular yes. who hadn't had a lot of big national exposure and NCAA experience. Right. And that's where it's like, maybe this eight, this team is good and they're going to have some good results, but I may, they may throw some stinkers in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. High ceiling, low floor. Yeah. That's, that would be the title <laughs> yeah. of this podcast if we didn't just call it number eight Duke. But with that said, any final thoughts on this team, uh, any final, you know, predictions, hot takes for us? I had to give my hot takes. Um, you know, I, I just hope we see this team healthy, uh, you know, particularly the injuries that we had last season and then to see Drummy seemingly struggling this fall. So knock on wood, you know, they'll they have a high ceiling, low floor, but at least we'll get a healthy Duke. Um, so knock on wood for that. I love it. Well, then with that said, one last thing to do. Number nine, 10, number nine, now number eight on the men's side. Remind me of all three of your picks, please, as we go through. Remind our listeners as well. Um, can we start at eight, though? <laughs> <laughs> no, work my way 10, nine, eight. Give it to me. Um, okay. I had, I, I, again, I, I did have Kentucky, and then I had Georgia, okay. and then I have number eight team. And so I have the luxury, though, of I will be continually tweaking my rankings. Uh, <laughs> Um, which is why that Georgia pick looks like a stinker. But again, that was made kind of preseason. Um, sure. So number eight, I have TCU. So spoiler alert, because if you've made it to this part of the podcast, you deserve a spoiler. We have TCU number eight as well. 
if I may have any single regret, it's that I don't have TCU higher because I have heard from some people and they are all raving about TCU and they're all raving about the freshmen. And just even with the loss of Alistair Gray, you bring in an Aguilar and you bring in and, and a loss of a Teddy Paralek as well. It's just the talent they brought in. You know, they were really young last year and they were really good and they bring back pretty much everyone. And I'm worried that I may have overlooked a Rodidi squad, even at number eight. And particularly given, I think I said Kentucky's a, a quarterfinalist. I think I said Arizona round of 16. I hope I said Arizona round of 16. It's tough, man. Like, again, this is where once you've hit the top eight, I think there's a clear top eight. And I think TCU is probably the bottom of that tier for me. And that's why I have them number eight, not because I don't think they're ridiculous. It's because I think those other teams are more ridiculous. And we'll get all into this great shot podcast. You can read Matt Sikoyak's thoughts on the website, crackrackets.com. You can hear from David Rodini on the Cracked Interviews podcast as well. All of that said, Jay, give me your TCU case. Because again, I, 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 I just, I'm hearing things. <laughs> Um, I'm not hearing anything. Uh, <laughs> um, so number eight, uh, TCU, you know, I feel like I've been burned by them in the past. They always have just such a talented roster. Um, I'm not convinced. Obviously they lose Alistair gray. I don't really think their top three gets that much better. Um, you know, either Famba is going to play one or two. They bring in the freshman Pedro Vives. Okay. Aguilar is going to slot in there two or three. Um, that's not the top three that I like against many teams where TCU is going to have success. If they do have success this season is going to be at the bottom of the lineup. You bring in, you know, is, is it Rule rule from and Arizona Tim state, Rule. Tim rule from Arizona state. Sander Jong has been playing well on the ITF circuit. Um, you know, you have, you have Jarosak, Fernley. Fernley and then, you know, uh, Max dead. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, I, I think you got to win these matches at, at the top and you talk about a team like Kentucky, right? That top three is so strong. You know, I don't really like TCU's top three against many teams. And so if you take a hit there, two of the three singles, um, you know, it's tough to win matches. I don't think that we're looking at uh, a bottom of the lineup that would rival a Baylor of last season. Right. And I don't think they're going to run the tables. And so with that said, you know, I'm not sure where I see the pieces together and it just feels like a, strange amalgam of, of, of players that I'm, we'll have to see how they fit together. You got a lot of guys who can have success from four through six. And, you know, again, let's not forget how good Sandra Jong was last year. And they've got legitimately a top four uh, because people talk about the freshman, I believe it's Vivez Marcos very, very highly. And with him, Famba, Jong, Aguilar, you feel like you didn't lose anything. You maybe even got better in your top four. And then again, sure. you've got Jirasek, you've got, Fernley, you've got Maxted, you've got options at the bottom of your lineup as well that you feel pretty good about. I mean, all of these teams, it's a freaking nightmare. I feel like, again, I feel closer. I feel like TCU is closer to Arizona than Baylor is to Arizona. That's why I have them lower. That's why they're number eight at the same time. They're an eight that on the right day could make a semifinal. Absolutely. Like without question, that's where this gets so difficult. Yeah. the mar- I mean, the margins of error on the men's side in the top eight are so thin i think that's one of the differences with the women you still have some tiers within the 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 top eight that honestly just don't really exist for the men Mm -hmm. um and 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 if they do right i mean on any given day it feels like 
uh, any of these top eight teams could could knock off each other. So, well, it just feels could- like for the women that the top brass, like it, a lot of the seniors were really good last year. Graham, yeah. Davitella, Leahy, Estella Perez, Samariba. But they, you know, again, these experienced players were very, very good. And yep. that's so many, you know, all of the NC State players, I don't want to forget them. And obviously the GOAT, Kat Jokic too, GOAT too, because Davitella is the GOAT. Uh, but Kat Jokic never lost. And, you know, again, she graduates as well. There, It's more generational shifty. Yep. It feels like for the women, for the men, Florida's back, you know, Tennessee's right. back. Everyone's just yeah, back yeah. and Baylor no, yeah. reloaded. Totally. The roster, and we talked about this, I think, in the very beginning, right? The rosters look a lot more similar on the men's side. You saw that in the ITA regionals, right? There's not a lot of, like, new blood um, coming in on the men's side where there is definitely a changing of the guard on the women's side. So that makes it just just tough because all these teams are, are so close on the men's side. But, um, you know, I think TCU is firmly in the eight. Um, and, you know, I, I have them at eight because I feel – feel better about certain spots in the lineup with some of the other teams that are slightly above them. I like it. Well, with that in mind, again, Jays top 10, Kentucky 10, Georgia nine. He has TCU at eight. Of course, if you want to hear our thoughts on the men, number 10, Kentucky, number nine, Arizona, you can hear Chris Hallioris, Matt Koak, and I break it down on this great shot podcast feed. You can hear me talk to head coach Cedric Kaufman of Kentucky, head coach Clancy Shields of Arizona. You can also hear me talk with head coach Mark Weaver. We're still we are going to get Coach Melissa Shop. I promise. And at this point, it's a highly anticipated interview, I feel like, for many of you listeners. But again, we're going to catch up as we preview our top 10, talk to all of these coaches, all the Power 5 coaches as well. I continue to work my way through the list as, again, we want to set the complete scene, complete picture for all of you college tennis fans heading into what should be another exciting 2022 dual match season. With all of that said, Jay, any final thoughts, ATP finals, WTA finals, Kozlov resurgence, floor is yours. Uh, no, I think we got out, got that all out at the beginning. Um, you sure you don't want to do five on Kozlov? I'm trying to work five on Kozlov into every podcast I do. Uh, I, it's pretty shocking. This is his first main draw. Right? I know. Like I was, that I was, was just, I was like, I, when I saw that, because his first one he's played in 2014. And in reality, I feel like the first time he probably hit on the grounds was 2006 when he was eight years old. And then he hit with Federer or something. And he was actually a practice partner. Um, yeah. But first At, slam main draw. Well, it just made me think like those years when he was starting to have so much success, like, did he just get qualifying wild cards at the U.S. Yeah, Open? That's exactly what it was. Or he was just into quality. So they didn't use the, the wild cards on him. Yeah, that that's wild to me. I don't think you would see uh, someone of his age have that success and not get a main draw wild card today. Um, yeah, so but that- he was never, you know, the way. Well, I guess not necessarily Mo, who's an IMG guy, and Tiafa was a JTCC sort of guy. None of those 98s were. It was the 97s that were the USTA darlings, Opelka, Fritz, Paul, and sure. let's be clear, it worked. Like, there's nothing wrong with the strategy there. But you're right, yeah. Kozlov got a lot of challenger wild cards. Not as many, again, not a single U.S. Open main draw wild card. That actually is shocking given you could argue, I don't think he was the best U.S. junior of the 2010s, but he may have had the most pedigree by the end of it. Yeah. I mean, the U.S. Open probably felt pretty good about that decision up until uh, this year. Yesterday. Um, Yeah, exactly. But honestly, I mean, it was just, what, June, July that he was losing in 25Ks, like the first round. Um, So it just goes to show you um, how – how mental tennis is, right? We talk about some of these teams and, you know, the spring and, and so much of it is, a, is, a, is around the mental component. All of these players are so good. Um, 
And so, you know, credit to him, not many guys would have stayed on the path. Uh, and so credit to him for making, you know, your childhood dreams really come true. <laughs> closer and closer. Um, yeah, it's the serve. It's the fitness. He's got weapons now. And like, he's yeah. only 23, about to turn right. 24. Yeah, sometimes it takes a little bit longer. But yeah, it's again, fun home stretch here of the 2021 season. Of course, we will be back next week, breaking down our number seven team. It's going to get spicy next week. Yeah, that will be our our likely most heated episode to date. I can tell you right now, my 2021 prediction, 2022 prediction next week will be spicy. Can lock that in right now. But with all of that said, four, of course, again, catch up on all the college contenders, crackrackets.com, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. You all know the deal. We're at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly. I'm at Great Shot Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an any job he does day in, day out. Shout out as well to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis point.com. Promo code is CR15. With all of that said, for my fantastic co host, John J. Parsons, who, by the way, no ad, no problem blog at J tweets tennis, correct? That's it. At J tweets tennis. You're not at a thousand followers yet, are you? No. That's a crime. <laughs> no. We'll get we're gonna get him there by the end of 2021. That's another promise oh. to all the listeners. If you're hearing this at J tweets tennis, go read the no ad, no problem blog. Read his contributions to our website, crackrackets.com. With that said, for the wonderful John J. Parsons, for our super producer Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, and from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jay, what do we tell the people? Hey, great shot. And we'll see you all next week. Number eight, Duke. Thanks, everyone.